Well, once again, uh, it's so great to see you in person, online, as we open God's word together. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17, and I uh, invite you to have your Bibles open. Uh, while you're finding 1 Kings chapter 17, I just want to make sure uh, that we all have our calendars marked for two weeks from today. Very special day, two weeks from today, August 15th, we're going to mark the 20th anniversary of John Hewlett serving at our church. And uh, man, he has blessed our church in so many different ways. And it is gonna be wonderful to celebrate him, maybe roast him a little bit, uh, but also to celebrate him. I invited uh, a mutual friend of ours and a great friend of this church, DJ Reed, uh, who served on staff with John to come and preach that day. DJ's an amazing uh, preacher and uh, there'll be a church-wide reception afterwards. It's just gonna be a great day. One of the things that you can do kind of in the meantime as well that would be so special to John is if you go to vrbc.net, click events, and then find August 15th, John's 20th, there's a little job form there where you could leave a note uh, of what uh, John and the Hewlett family have meant to you uh, through the years. And uh, I can tell you from experience that that's golden. And so just those words of encouragement are so important. And so once again, calendars marked two weeks from today. Well, last Sunday, we launched this new sermon series on one of the most fascinating figures in the Old Testament. His name is Elijah with a J. There's also an Elisha with an SH, his protege. We'll talk about him in a few weeks. But Elijah is an amazing person. He's not perfect uh, by any means, as we'll see. He had uh, his issues as we all do. But at the same time, Elijah's life is this beautiful uh, canvas on which the strength of God and the courage of God is painted. And so uh, we wanna talk about courage. Last week we talked about courage in a time of opposition. Uh, And today we wanna talk about courage in a time of tragedy. Now our passage is a bit on the long side, but I think it's really important that you hear uh, all the verses of it. And so I'm gonna read it to you. And as I read it, I want you to listen for the many tragic situations that we encounter in this passage. 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse seven, hear the word of the Lord. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he, Elijah, went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Surely, as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. And the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. 
He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him back to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. May God bless the reading of his word. Did you hear it? Did you hear all those tragic elements in this passage? I mean, this is clearly not a a pretty story, is it? There's so much sorrow, there's so much suffering, so many hard times. I don't know about you, but I pray so often for these things to never happen to me. (laughs) Uh, And and I think I pray rightly, and we pray rightly when we pray that. Uh, We wonder if we would have the strength to, to bear up, but yet, This passage teaches us such a beautiful truth about courage. True courage is not some homegrown power that we muster up from inside ourselves. No, true spiritual courage comes when we reach our own limits and God comes through with his sufficiency. And so this morning, I wanna talk to you about something I'm calling the stretch zone, okay? The stretch zone. Have you ever had that experience where uh, maybe there's something at the top of a closet and, uh, and you reach up with both hands and you are just centimeters away from getting it. Have you ever had that experience before? So what do you, what do, you do? Well, probably if you're sensible, uh, you go get a chair or a stool. But what do a lot of us do? What do a lot of us do? You get up on your tippy toes and maybe even on one foot and you stretch, right? I want you to think about that gap, that uppermost reach as the stretch zone, the stretch zone. I want us to see today that while while the grace of Jesus is always present to us, so often we meet Christ so powerfully when we are stretching way beyond what is comfortable in our lives. Or or to to paraphrase a, a popular saying, so often in life we find God as the knot at the end of our rope. When we are just at extremity, when we are stretching, when we have nothing else, there we find God to be so strong in our lives. There we find courage. And so that's what I I think we're gonna see today in this passage. Uh, Not only for Elijah, but also for this widowed mother that God brings into Elijah's path. And so if you're new with us, we just started this series last week. And so just a little bit quick backdrop. Uh, Israel uh, is spiritually sick uh, in this season when Elijah comes on the scene. Uh, She's much sicker, really, spiritually speaking, than she realizes. Now, economically, everything's going great. Economically, Israel is way in the black, but spiritually, as a country, she's in the red. 
Her spiritual life has been weakened by the worship of idols like Baal and Asherah. We talked about them last week. We'll talk about them next week. So what does God do? God mobilizes basically a one-man army to wage spiritual warfare. And this one-man army is Elijah. His first official act is to preach a prophetic sermon to the evil king and queen, King Ahab uh, and Queen Jezebel. And in this sermon, he is announcing God's judgment on Israel and, and her corrupt leadership. And he announces that a devastating drought is about to come. Uh, the rain is gonna stop, not just for days or not just for weeks, not just for months, but for years. Now, guess what? When, when Elijah announces the word of God, this drought, he also will have to endure the drought. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? That we have to bear up under uh, God's punishment. Uh, we have to bear up under the word that we, that we preach and we hold to. And so for a time, God has led Elijah to a, a, a brook where he can uh, have water. He, he, he's given Elijah these ravens to feed him. And for the moment, life is good. But if you notice at the very beginning of the passage I read to you, uh, things change in verse seven. What happens? Well, in verse seven, that's when the brook dries up. And here is where God begins to stretch Elijah. Now, this passage, uh, this event takes place 800 years before Jesus was born. I doubt there's anybody in the room that's ever experienced anything close to what Elijah historically experienced uh, 800 years before Jesus in 1 Kings chapter 17. But what I want us to see is that some of the ways that Elijah was stretched Some of the ways the widow was stretched are also ways that God stretches us. And the first thing I wanna talk about is what happens when God stretches us beyond our neighborhood. When God stretches us beyond our neighborhood. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, let's look again at verses eight and nine. Uh, Verses eight and nine say, then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. When the brook dries up, God sends Elijah 90 miles. Sorry, I pretended like I was done and then I wasn't. God sends Elijah 90 miles to Zarephath. Uh, You know, and and not only that, God sends him to encounter a, a person who is in a desperate situation in life. Isn't that interesting? Why Zarephath? Zarephath was actually an idolatry country. Zarephath was very close to the hometown of Queen Jezebel. Elijah is called upon by God to venture far from his neighborhood. And Elijah is called by God to meet a person in a desperate state of poverty. In other words, God is almost like Elijah is God's frisbee and and God is saying, hey, I want you to get outside of your neighborhood. I want you to get outside of this comfortable brook where there's uh, food and and water to drink every morning and every evening. And I'm gonna fling you to a place that is miles outside your comfort zone. Now I see so often in life, God does something similar with us because it's one thing to live in our neighborhood where we know how everything works and we know people and we have all the comforts of of home surrounding us and maybe people speak our same language. But I've often found that when I'm stretching far from home, I have a chance to see Jesus work in a new way. I've often found that when I encounter people who are struggling with different kinds of needs, 
That as Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. When you've fed the, the hungry or the, or the thirsty, when you've clothed the naked, when you've, when you've visited those who are in prison, when you've served others in Jesus' name, we experience the presence of Christ so powerfully when we're far from our neighborhood. Right? Now, God could have done this so much easier, couldn't he have? I mean, there are a lot easier ways to supply Elijah with food than to send him 90 miles away to a woman whose pantry is almost empty. So why does God do this? I think that God realizes that so often our faith grows when we're far from home. I think that God realizes that so often, just like Elijah and this woman, we can accomplish more together than we can individually. And so God allows our paths to cross uh, so, that, so that his courage, his strength, so that faith may grow stronger in us, in that stretch zone beyond our neighborhood. I think often of a story my friend Todd Solkowski used to tell. I hadn't, I hadn't been at the church very long when I became convinced from personal experience that, that going on a mission trip, kind of getting out of, of, of Texas, was, was, or at least of, of, uh, of Dallas, was a great way to experience God's power in a fresh way. And so uh, just a year or two into my uh, time here, I, I challenged every Sunday school class, you know, one, I want to see you send someone on a mission trip. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of pray them up and, and you help pay for it and you, you support them. And, and so Todd was teaching a Sunday school class at the time. And as, as he often told it to me, he kind of looked around the class and fairly or unfairly, if you happen to be in that class, uh, he said to himself, I can't see any of these people going on a global trip. Uh, if someone's going to go from our class, it's going to have to be me. And so Todd signed up to go on a trip to South America. And as he told it, here he was, a, a, then a partner in a public accounting firm, far from home, far from creature comforts. And I heard him tell this story so many times. He said it, 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 it broke him down <laughs> first. But then it showed him Jesus Christ in such a powerful way that he actually felt called to, to, to a vocation in global missions. Sometimes God stretches us when we get out of our neighborhood. By the way, this would probably be a great time just to drop in uh, the little factoid that we have scheduled a, a church mission trip to Indonesia uh, this March. And uh, I've been there. God used that trip to, to enlighten and stretch me. And maybe that's something you'd like to pray about. But I also want to tell you that you don't have to travel thousands of miles or even hundreds of miles or even tens of miles to kind of get out of your neighborhood and experience Christ. Maybe, uh, as, as many of you are doing, a, a trip to South Dallas Cornerstone is just a way to see and experience Jesus in a fresh way. And it all happened for Elijah when he got out of his neighborhood. It all started in Zarephath. But there's a second kind of stretching. And that's not so much when God stretches us beyond our neighborhood, but when God stretches us beyond our deficits. I want us to turn our attention to this fascinating conversation that Elijah, fresh off a 90-mile hike, has with this widow. So look with me at verse uh, 10. Verse 10 says this. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have 
a drink. Now, I want you to try to conjure up, you know, I read you the passage, you know the backstory. Try to conjure up a more needy situation than the one that Elijah has walked into here in verse 10. I mean, can you imagine anything more pathetic, pitiful uh, uh, than, than this situation? You have a widow. I picture her bone thin, dressed in black, still grieving the loss of her husband. What do we see this widow doing? We see her gathering sticks in her threadbare apron. Why is she gathering sticks? So that she can make one small fire to cook one last supper, really one last snack, one last little tiny loaf of bread so that she and her painfully skinny son can eat that one last meal before they both die of starvation. Does it get any more desperate than that. That's what Elijah is walking into. Now, when I imagine this passage, we all do that. We read scripture and we try to place it in our heads. When I imagine this passage, I picture Elijah as a character out of a Western movie. You, you do with it what you want. Uh, but I picture Elijah kind of doffing the cowboy hat and saying, no, excuse me, ma'am, but uh, may I trouble you for a drink, right? And perhaps this widow lost in her own pain deeply torn by physical weakness and sorrow. Maybe she's thinking, I don't know, this isn't in the text, but maybe she's thinking, you know, good grief, can't you get your own water? Like, what is it with men, you know? But, uh, but she doesn't say that, she doesn't say that at all. In fact, uh, in the Bible, showing hospitality is, is to weary travelers is such a huge value as it still is in many parts of the world. And so what does she do? She turns immediately to go and get him some water. And as she's walking in that direction, Elijah adds one more request. He says, and ma'am, how about a biscuit to go with that water? And that's it for the, for the, for the woman. I, I, that is the biscuit that broke the widow's back right there. That, that, when she hears that, she turns on her heels and she lays everything out for Elijah in verse 12. Once again, my paraphrase is, uh, you know, is a biscuit, are you serious? Look, I love God, I sense you're a holy man from God, I wanna be hospitable, but I don't have a bread box full of bread back home. You wanna know what I have? I have a smidgen of flour. I got a smidgen of olive, olive oil. I've got these few sticks for fire. I'm gonna make one last pathetic little meal for my pathetic son and my pathetic self, and then that's gonna be the end. Now that's honest, isn't it? That is so honest. I mean, if ever there was a person living in deficit mode, it's this poor widow. If ever there was someone struggling with scarcity, it's this widow. I am. Uh, regularly grieved and convicted by the fact that so many people in our world, and not just in our world, but in our country, in our community, live in an, a kind of economic deficit mode. It convicts me, and at the same time, it fills me with gratitude that you, as a congregation, are so regularly working, sacks of our hunger, you're so regularly involved in, in serving others. I just wanna say, way to go, VRBC, keep it up. And I also wanna say, if you are currently, if you yourself are currently in a situation of, of economic uh, deprivation, would you please let one of us know, talk to one of our pastors, deacons, a grow group leader, we, we wanna help. But there are other kinds of deficits in our lives, aren't there? I mean, sometimes we, we feel like we're in deficit mode with our time, don't we? 
We have so many commitments, so many expectations regularly piled upon us. There's no regulator for how many emails can come into your inbox, and yet we still only have 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Congress has not passed any laws changing that. And, and, and we ask ourselves, where am I going to find the time? And sometimes it's not so much even where am I going to find the time, but from a deficit mode standpoint, it's where am I going to find the energy? I mean, sometimes we're just so tired, aren't we? We're just so depleted. We feel so frustrated. It's hard enough to, to answer just one request, but then somebody asks for a biscuit on top of that when, when, when we are just so depleted. You know, if this pandemic has conv convinced us of anything, right, it's, it's that burnout uh, is real. And I am quite certain that so many of you have experienced it or are currently experiencing it. And what I pray for all of us is that God would help us find Sabbath rest. It's one of the most urgent needs I think so many have right now. But I also want to say to you that so often we see God do his best work in us when we're in deficit mode. So often we see God act so dramatically when we are stretching in deficit mode, when, when, when we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Now, Elijah had personal experience with this phenomenon already. So when this woman has her very understandable meltdown in verse 12, Elijah says something amazing to her. The first thing he says is, don't be afraid. Because that's what we naturally go to in deficit mode. It's fear. Don't be afraid. In fact, he promises her that her and her son are going to have sufficient food for a long time. But he wants to stretch her faith muscle. It's not that he's selfish. He has a holy desire for this woman to see what God can do for her family. And he says, God's going to supply, but give me the first biscuit. Give me the first biscuit so that you can see what God does with the leftovers. And this woman, I think in verse 15, one of the most amazing displays of faith and courage in the Bible. She does exactly what Elijah asked her to do. And as so often happens, when we put our courageous faith in God, God comes through, but he doesn't necessarily come through the way we think he will. Like, for example, it's not like this woman next, the very next day had Amazon shipper a pallet of flour and a pallet of olive oil, right? No, no. But you know what happened the next day? She reached her little measuring cup down in the flour jar, and wouldn't you know it, the cup came up full. And she reached that tablespoon down in the olive oil jar, and guess what? There was enough olive oil for the day. There was enough olive oil and flour on Monday. And then she assumed it was gone, but it was there on Tuesday. And it was there on Wednesday. And it was there on Thursday. The Lord supplied. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm sure she prayed. And God came through. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, one of the really fun things about being a pastor is just getting to hear your stories of God's sufficiency. And I've heard so many wonderful testimonies when you're scraping the bottom of the barrel economically or emotionally or physically, you don't even know how you're gonna make it. Right? And if you tried to even think about Thursday, I mean, there's no way. Right? But God says, trust me today. We'll see what comes up in your measuring cup today. And in that stretch zone, with maybe a mustard seed of faith and courage, God showed up for this woman and her family. It's the stretch zone. 
We get stretched beyond our neighborhood and God acts. We get stretched beyond the bottom of the barrel, our deficit mode and God acts. But, but I'm telling you, if, if, if you think you've seen extremity, uh, we haven't seen it until we get to this last part. And that is when God stretches us beyond our hope. When God stretches us beyond our hope. Now by the time you get to the end of verse 16, if you're thinking that a, a happy ending is coming, if you think it's time to roll the credits here on this little movie of God's sufficiency, stay in your seats. Uh, buckle in, because look what happens in verse 17. Verse 17 says, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. By the way, I take stop breathing to mean he died. He died. And I don't think we should blame the widow in verse 18 for totally losing it and, and turning on Elijah because we would have done the same thing. It must have felt like a, a cruel joke right? for this woman to still be on earth in her misery, in her grief, and her only son to be gone. But I think there's something else we see in this woman's uh, reaction. It, it, it happened in biblical times. I think it happens in our own time as well. When we suffer tragedy, one of our first thoughts is, 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 is this my fault? Did I do this? Was it because of my sin? Now, what does Elijah do? I think Elijah does something that I bet so many of us have done at one time or another. And that is, you happen upon the scene of an accident, you happen upon the scene of a tragedy, and in the moment, you're clear and, and calm, and hey, you know, just, uh, it's gonna be okay, just give me your son, uh, but, but, but what do you do when you have a moment to yourself? You start shaking, you, you, start, you start crying, and so I, I, see the, I see Elijah calmly saying, give me your son, right? Uh, and then he takes this boy upstairs, his upstairs bedroom. He lays the corpse out on the bed, and it's then that he falls apart. And guess what? Isn't it interesting? Just as the woman bitterly complained to Elijah, what does Elijah do? He just takes the complaints right up the chain to God, doesn't he? Uh, in verse 20, pastors do that sometimes. You complain to me, I complain to God, right? And so, and so what does Elijah do? He vents all his doubts, all his frustrations. You know, God, it wasn't supposed to happen this way, right? God, what, what kind of crazy screenplay are you writing here? What are you up to? And Elijah doesn't know anything else to do in that moment except to stretch. Literally. Verse 21. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Now, the last thing I ever want to do is misuse a story like this. Like this is some little trick. <laughs> and if you have enough faith, you know, you can go to any funeral home and, <laughs> uh, and just, you know, no, no, no. I mean, the Bible tells us very clearly in Genesis 3 that when Adam and Eve sinned, death invaded planet Earth, and it's been here ever since. People die. Young people die. They leave us tragically. And so many of our prayers for healing are not answered in the way in which we hope. And yet, I think in this passage, the Bible gives us this little window into the ultimate questions of life and death, into the ultimate questions of sickness and healing. And so I always find myself moved when I read this passage 
and I see Elijah physically stretched out, praying with all his might, Lord, do not let death have the last word in this story. Let this boy's life return. Elijah is out of hope. All he knows to do is to stretch himself out in a posture of absolute dependence and pray to God. And amazingly, after the third prayer, not after the first, not after the second, after the third prayer, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's breath came back to him. And Elijah gets to carry the now living son back down the stairs and says, here's your boy, here's your son. Have you ever heard of the the Orthodox Church, this kind of huge branch of of Christianity, Greek, Russian Orthodox, and uh, they, uh, in their celebration of the church year and their liturgy, you know, they have scriptures uh, for every day, and they, they, they assign this scripture, 1 Kings 17, they assign this scripture to a very specific day on the church's calendar. You want to know which day? Holy Saturday. Did you know there was a Holy Saturday? Holy Saturday is between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Now, why would they do that? Hmm. Why would they do that? The church grieving the loss of our Savior, grieving the death of hope on Good Friday, stretched out on Holy Saturday, saying, Lord, do it again. Lord, bring life out of death. Lord, don't let death have the last word. The church prays for a fresh experience of resurrection power. They lie on the corpse of their, of their hopes and dreams and pray for the breath of life. I read uh, recently about a smartphone app. I don't have it on my on my phone, but it's, it's been downloaded over 10,000 times. Uh, and uh, the app is called We Croak. We Croak. It's based on an old folk saying that to be truly happy, you must contemplate your death five times a day. And so this app, I'm told, will send you five text messages a day with cheery reminders like, don't forget, you're gonna die. Now, it's not a Christian app, okay, but, but, but the, idea, uh, the idea is that the thought of death will help you not sweat the little stuff, right? Uh, it'll help you stop and smell the roses. It'll help you enjoy this day and not get so sad about that lost business deal or, you know, a car that won't start or whatever, right? Now, oddly enough, I think there is some wisdom here. On Ash Wednesday, Christians all over the world repeat the words from Genesis, to dust you are and to dust you will return. It is a good thing to remember our mortality. The scripture urges us to do that. But if this passage points me to anything, if this passage points me to a smartphone app that I think would be a lot more useful, you know what I would call it? I wouldn't call it we croak. I would call it we rise. We rise. 
rise five times a day, 50 times today. I want to remember that Good Friday leads to Easter Sunday. Five times a day, 50 times a day. I want to hear Jesus whisper to me what he whispered to the sisters of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. I want to live in that stretch zone of faith in the God who raises the dead, in the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I want Jesus to breathe that life-giving Holy Spirit over whatever feels sick or dead or dying in my soul. And I want to remember that one day Jesus is going to reunite me, you know, with every person who's died in faith in his name. Friends, Can we stretch like that today in faith? Can we stretch like that? Can we sing in our hearts the words of that great Easter hymn, raised like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your people today. I pray for your church. Because, Lord, I know that so, so many people are are negotiating challenging situations. Maybe right now in in life, they feel very far from what uh, is comfortable. They feel dislocated from home, from a neighborhood that they love. Maybe, Lord, so many people today are struggling with different kinds of deficits, economic, physical, emotional, spiritual, and they feel like they're about to run out, Lord. And then, Lord, today, how many people are struggling with hope because life feels so hopeless. Life feels so dark. But, Lord, could you remind us that following Holy Saturday is Easter Sunday, that you're the resurrection and the life, that if anybody is in Christ, they're a new creation, Lord, because you breathe your life-giving spirit into us. Lord, do that now. Breathe your Holy Spirit. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.